L-O-I Central. It's not just football. Yeah, hello and welcome along. It is episode six of LOI Central. 2021 season gets ever more interesting globally and of course in the League of Ireland itself. As ever, we are in association with futureticketing.ie. Thanks so much to Future Ticketing for the continued sponsorship of the podcast. And this week, uh, we're going to kind of focus on Irish football in terms of where it is in the global situation and maybe the future of Irish football. Is this good news for Ireland? Is it bad news for Ireland, this uh, development and death of the Super League? And does it advertise the League of Ireland in a good light? And as such, we're going to talk to Sligo Rovers manager, Sligo Rovers chairman, rather, Tommy Higgins, um, who speaks eloquently uh, about Sligo Rovers as a community-based club and Bo COO Daniel Lambert, who's probably in the press quite regularly um, extolling what Bo's are doing in the community. But just to talk to them about maybe football as a community-based thing and your club is something something that matters locally rather than to some billionaire or whatever it is. As well as that, uh, very shortly, we'll hear from Stephen O'Donnell and Kevin Sheedy after the Pats Watford game. Whilst Dan spoke to Kev Doherty after Drogheda United's game against um, Shamrock Rovers. And Dan, we haven't even mentioned Dundalk yet. Yeah, well, that's probably a good thing for a lot of people. Um I, we should say, like, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a mad week, all right. I mean, it was a bit of a surreal one being at a game last night, um, while the football world was sort of burning. Um, it was a great sort of distraction, but in a way as well, like you know, you're all couldn't help but be distracted by the news of like everything that was kicking off. We should praise the real winners of the last week, um, last forty hours. Bray Wonders, of course, who've been killing it on social media in a variety of uh, forms. Although I think. Uh, I don't know, is there some uh, squabble between Finn Harps over who got the joke out first about, you know, we're announcing we're not taking part in the, the Super League on, on Sunday night? But um, they, they, they were winding up and sort of, but, but actually with the support of a lot of Premier League club fans, uh, there was various clips that went uh, went around the world. Um, so it's sort of a with, with, with top-class social media activity. But um, they then put up a good post last night, Bray Wanderers saying, I'm just reading this out, We've had a bit of fun on social media in recent days, but behind it all is an important message. To many new followers, we're Bray Wanderers and we play in the first division of the SC Electricity League alongside a group of other like-minded clubs. Here in Ireland, we call it the greatest league in the world because to us, that's what it is. It's our Super League. It's a real football representing real communities and it's a collective effort of dedicated players, fans, coaches, volunteers and media. Every weekend, we share the drama, the passion, the joy and the despair of watching our club brackets at various age levels take to the pitch representing our towns and cities. If you've enjoyed what you've seen in our channels, please consider watching one of our games on LOITV.ie. You might see us win, you might see us lose. I feel like putting in brackets, you might not see some of the game at all, but listen, <laughs> you know, they, they have to listen, give, give, give the project time. But whatever happens, we'll do it again next week with the same pride and passion. We'd love for you to experience it all in person at our Colorado grounds one day. That's a lovely message there. It's like, you know, it's like the, it's like the end of a, an over the top sort of a, I don't know, it's like a documentary or, or some feel-good thing or a, a Christmas cracker message or something. But then the, the extra line, to us, despite winning the same number of European Cups as Arsenal, Tottenham and Man City combined, <laughs> the game isn't all about glory or money. It's about people like you and us, which was the closer, which was more in keeping with their the content earlier in the week. So, um, yeah, listen, um, fair play to them and, and fair play to uh, uh, the, the people who revolted against it. But, but it's, it's obviously... Um, I was just writing a piece about this. It'll probably be published by the time this goes out. Obviously, with all this, like there's still obviously a slight fear from the perspective of the 
the, the smaller leagues, that even if there's any negotiation arising from this going forward, like what we've seen over the years is that any negotiation involving, uh, say, the Champions League and the structure of the competitions, there's always been a little bit of a power grab each time and it makes things and it pushes things further away for like the smaller leagues. Mm. Now, I know there's some positive talk that they're trying to try and make more room for national champions maybe going forward, but I, I do make the point and people listening to this are very much aware that UEFA money in smaller leagues has created a bit of a, you know, a divide where the, the champions thrive, but not everyone else does. And it's, you know, it's unleveled the playing field. You know, I, I was watching that documentary on Derry City the other night, which was magnificent, different league. It was a real tonic. Um, but even the story contained within that of like a, a team, you know, coming up, you know, through the League of Ireland. Okay, it's only two division, but still, they come up through the League of Ireland. They did sign some very good players. They had money, of course. But, you know, massive crowds and all that. And they win the league and then they play Benfica, you know, and it's great. And like, that's not possible now. Never mind the Benfica part. It's also pretty much impossible for a club to just come up as Derry did and, and, and take the league in the manner that they did. Um, it'd be pretty hard to get to that now, certainly in a, in a short window of time. Um, although, listen, you know, there was obviously parallels with the Dundalk story to some degree because um, they did start off with a, a very small budget. But, but clearly, you know, they got power. They got to Europe. Uh, they got their new owners. And things have changed there a bit. And I suppose, you know, domestically, that has been the story of the last week with it, Shane Keegan and, and Filippo departing in, it in is the space of 24 hours. Yeah, it is. It is funny that this Super League thing has happened around the time of the whole Dundalk stuff because Dundalk are obviously the club that have gone the route in the league here of taking in investors from abroad. And I don't know, Dan, where is this going on the pitch? Obviously, one all draw against Jerry, but neither team has won a game yet. Um, you were obviously in Drogheda where Shamrock Rovers had a, another late winner, but the Dundalk situation for me, um, any any inkling as to who's going to come in? Who would somebody want the job? Well, I mean, a lot of people want the job. I certainly am aware of a lot of people who, who want the job. Um, I might deal with some of that in a second, actually. But um, listen, it's still going to be a very attractive job to people. I mean, listen, I've talked a lot and written a lot about Dundalk and, and, and doesn't hasn't always, uh, you know, pleased everyone. And people say sometimes, well, why is there such a big focus on Dundalk? And like, why do you focus in on them? It's, you know, it's because they've been the dominant team of the mm. last, you know, of the recent era. You know, and, you know, like an incredible story, like the whole Dundalk story. And I, I know, like, it's it's hard sometimes to, like, to really get sort of a, you know, no problem saying this, but like to, to get League of Ireland stories to give them a really good show. And sometimes it's a fair point that it's when it's bad news that you can get more. But, like, with Dundalk, it was also when there was good news, you know, the rise, the, the, the sort of the 2016 stuff. And, like, you know a lot of media judge themselves by stats and stuff and like you know the dog stuff has done very well for whatever reason it seems to be a story that's captured a lot of interest unfortunately it's capturing interest in the wrong way now at the moment um with what has been a sort of a let's be honest a pretty chaotic period um and um i, I don't necessarily know where it goes um from here you know i still think despite it all um, it's a it's a reasonably attractive job, but to me the the key to the whole thing for them now is that the sporting director Jim Magilton and the and the new manager whoever it is I think that they need to have a strong working relationship you know so that on the ground that there's a real sort of sense of of harmony there so whatever may or may not be happening in terms of 
you know, the, 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 the sort of the, the, the chairman based in America and all the complications that, that, have, that have come with that, um, that if they can still have a sort of a tight ship together on the ground, they have players there to get things going and, and like they're finishing some of their games pretty well. Like, you know, and I mean, if it wasn't for the, unfortunately, like I don't like honing in on someone, but if it wasn't for the sort of the erratic goalkeeper, like I mean, they could have like four, five, six more points now at the moment and, and mm. not actually be that far off the pace. Um, despite it all, but I, I think it's Penny important Barrett personally, because I, I won a few quid on the game. I thanked him personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, no bother by or something like that. But look, but you see like the Shamrock over second half, like the, the, the flurry of activity in that Pats game late on, mm. you know, and, and bits of Derry. I wasn't at the game, but I've, I've watched a bit of, bit of it back. And like, there's a real sense like that when they go for it, they've still, they've still got something. And um, signing as well. So, yeah, well, Zahibo come in and, and um, Addison, listen, he's got a great pedigree. Like, he's got a terrific pedigree. Um, and, and you know, we, we'll, we'll see. Like, there was at times with, like, players bouncing off him and at times his touch looked a bit loose, but that's someone who hasn't, like, he hasn't he hasn't played a lot in recent times. So that's he has got to be on serious money, though, as well. And, yeah, yeah, but, no, like, and he, how, like, does, how do you harmonise that in a squad where other lads clearly won't be on that type of money? Like, Well, listen, that's one of the problems that they face, no doubt. Like, there's absolutely no doubt that, like, they've brought in some players from outside of big money. And, like, it's normal in every workplace, in every life, in every walk of life, you know, that, you know, there'd be obviously others wondering about that. And uh, now, listen, if they come in and they're like the place up, you know, I, I'm sure Jack Byrne was unreasonably good money at Shamrock Rovers, but, like, when he was, you know, at times carried the team through games, whether yeah. people can handle that. Like, if you if you have big money on someone like Kolovich and he can't get in the team, well, then that's that's a problem, you know? And, like what they had, like you know, they they've had incent- heavily incentivized contracts and 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 bonus payments and stuff. You know, management, well, you know, well looked after for the Europa League run. And I don't necessarily have a huge problem with that. You know, like if you if you achieve on the pitch and you get a bonus for it, you know, it's better that than going into the pockets of I don't know, um, you know, uh, people who don't deserve it. Although of course the, the counterpoint is you, know, you can put some of it into facilities and resources as well. But like, I mean, that is one of the things for all that, you know, you'd be quite critical and I have been quite critical of the owners. Like, like the, the, they paid the players well and they've honored all contracts during the pandemic, for example. Mm. And in fairness, Michael Duffy did say it last week. Like, you know, players can definitely have valid complaints over things that have happened and maybe aspects of instability, but they've also been reasonably well looked after and their performance could have been better. And Michael Duffy did say, you know, players can't hide behind all the management stuff. Mm. Um, so, so there's complications to it. So there's something I do want to touch on briefly, because um, I know we, I know we, we, we joked about it last week. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the couple of tweets that went back and forth with, uh, with, with John Gill, and like I'm sort of low to go into it because you, you, you end up going down the road of like, uh, you know, a, 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 a journalist becoming a part of a story in some way, which is actually really bad. But at the same time, I think if you leave something unanswered, uh, it can maybe uh, cement the belief that it might be might be true in some way. Um, and like obviously, we've done a lot of fair bit of coverage on uh, Dundalk's situation last year, um, and clearly John Gill has the opinion that uh, in doing a piece which maybe uh, gave an overview of what happened towards the end of Vinnie Parrott's time there, that that I just went to speak to people who were disgruntled and had their noses out of joint and, you know, got sort of one side of the story in some way. Now, I will clarify that off the back of John Gill's tweets, I did speak to Vinny last week, 
Um, oh. I won't say what we I won't say what we spoke about, but I think you know. When did you last speak to Vinnie Perth? It was a good time prior to that, um, and Vinnie actually contacted me. I think to to say that he had nothing to do with uh, with, with John Gill's tweets, and um, you know, he'd, I think he told him to stop the exchange. Right now, I just want to put that out there just for just for a bit of balance to the point because well no no it's not no it's not that because like if you're if you're if you're a journalist doing your job right and someone puts it if someone puts it out there that you have maybe you know gone after a story in a particular way uh that to me would almost like question your integrity in terms of how you do your work um i don't think i don't think i can necessarily let that fly completely and i will point out as i said I've tried to contact um, Giller and he has not responded to any attempts to contact. Blow? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like I'm not sort of having a go here in a sort of a in a in a you know in a cowardly way and saying, well, listen, I have a podcast here and I can give someone a go. There's yeah. no right to reply. Like I've tried to contact and have a discussion about it. Like if if he actually spoke to people, he would know that I got two sides of the story around that. Um, I would have spoke to people on all sides of the equation and then. Like I reached a, a conclusion in a piece which I don't think people liked because it did not portray them in the way they might have expected to be portrayed. But I have to do a job and speak to people. Like Vinny, for example, and I really like, you know, I have full respect for anyone who goes and manages a team in the League of Ireland or any level, Vinny, Giller, anyone. Like we're basically on the outside, people on the fence all the time. Like no one really likes the media for a reason because, you know, we're never wrong to some degree. And like people who go in, to a dressing room and put themselves out, you know, out there. That takes a lot. It does take a lot of bottle, whether you disagree with all their decisions or not. And to be fair, people who have lost their jobs during the pandemic, which is difficult. It's really, really difficult. And it's hard to lose your job at any any point in time. But it just like to, to stress the point that like by by pointing out that things weren't right last year and, and things were things were dodgy behind the scenes, it was it was very well sourced information and people know that. People know that completely to be the case. And I have to say, like my phone was lighting up on Sunday night, absolutely lighting up on Sunday night when a clip emerged of um, of Vinny suggesting he wants the job back, which is absolutely fine. There's a lot of fan support out there who are welcome him back, but almost suggesting that, that you know, the things hadn't been all that bad, really. Um, and what I would say about that is that, you know, I had contact from all variety of people inside, outside the dressing room, past and present, um, who would actually find that slightly unusual um, in the context that what 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 is a fact and can't be changed, it's, it's an undeniable fact, is the stream of like volunteers, uh, another board member resigned last week, people have walked away consistently, 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 you know, people who've been involved in that club in a voluntary capacity for years who've walked away. And I think they were slightly uh, perturbed by the perception being put out there, which then, which has led some of the dog fans to question, well, maybe things weren't all that bad at all, if Vinny says it. Um, I, I just, I think that was a slightly curious move. But listen, I understand that people want to, you know, want, you know, want to help out and want to maybe get back in there. And that's what you have to do. But I, I just wanted to make that point because, um, like, sometimes in the league, it's a very collegiate league. Um, we don't like we're everyone who loses their job. Everyone says, "Well, they're a great, they're a great lad." Apart from maybe if it's an outsider like Filippo or someone coming in who maybe can get hammered a bit. Um, and listen, you made some very bad calls, but when it's someone close to home and it's a league where people have been very good to you with access and 
I mean, you know that, like, you know, the managers and the people in this league are very, very helpful to us all the time. All They're right. always available. Yeah. They're always there for us. I think you might even have showered in the man in the room of a dock manager before an away trip at one point, you know, like very, very open and helpful. And sometimes then when you do a piece and you speak to a load of people, you know, who 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 are not doing something out of vindictiveness or a grudge, you know, players who always play but will will explain that maybe just things went wrong for a reason behind the scenes and things weren't great. It's 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 not like a personal attack on someone to um to to cover that point of view and to reflect that point of view. Um and it seems that some people have taken it personally and then come out firing and suggesting, well, you only spoke to people um who were disgruntled and all this. That's not true. People have listened to this podcast for like five years or whatever. They can judge if I would just go around making up stuff or going to aggrieve people or not and not getting the full side of the story. And I think the full story of everything that happened, good or bad, at the dog, I think will be told in time. In the short term, I still don't think the situation can't be salvaged. Um, but I think the key thing is that that the working relationship between the sporting director and the uh, the manager is strong. Because I don't think, I think, I'm not sure if Magilton was madly impressed with, say, Filippo, a non-pro license, coach um in position and if you have we had passed last week um we have had Fennon on last week speaking about his relationship when he was sort of a director with Rennie you can see they got on very well um at Grover's you see the, the Stephen McPhail Stephen Bradley relationship probably got them through some very difficult moments you know some very difficult times that sort of harmony and I think um What's important for them, Doc, is that you have that rapport between the appointment. Once it's not like seen as it's their man too much, but I think that's what they need, some kind of understanding there, that at least they, in the short term, they can pull things together in terms of the dressing room, the players, and um, and sort of, and sort of, you know, at least in the short term focus and hope that with good results, maybe it might stabilize some things off the pitch. Anyway. I've gotten a bit of a bit of a tangent there, but I did want to make some points on that, and and uh, I've met them now, and that's it. And there's a there's a full right reply available to everyone if yeah. he wants to come on the show or contact me or discuss it. It's it's an open book, and that I'll talk to them anytime, anywhere. You, you spoke about the people listening to the show for five years. It kind of feels like I was listening to you for five years there. But sorry about that. Let's talk. Let's talk about other stuff completely. Um, other other stuff than completely. that, though, uh, Giller, of course, who once said about me, he should stick to the horses, and he's not much good at that either. He did go up in my estimation. <laughs> that to be fair. Uh, what a speaking of comebacks or, or, or fightbacks. I mean, Rovers last night. I mean, the the story of the league season so far for me was just twofold, and we were at both at games. I think um, that reflected is the improvement of some pats. But also the story of Shamrock Rovers and how they turned it on in the last 10, 15 minutes of games. Um, you know, I was right next to the pitch last night in Drada and just noticeable how extreme, but how Rovers kept coming and they kept coming and they kept coming. And yes, it was a bad foul, a silly foul. It's a dead ball they could have defended. But when a team just keeps again and again, it's because it's relentless. It's that pressure that wears teams down and Drada were fully concentrated for 94 minutes. They let it slip at the end. But that's when good teams keep doing it, that's not a fluke. If it happens once, it's a, you get out of jail. It happens consistently. It's champion stuff. 
But anyway, you were a pass. Tell me about that. I was indeed. Well, let's hear from the managers. First of all, Stephen O'Donnell and then Kevin Sheedy. Yeah, happy with it. Um, you know, we got the start we wanted. We could have really driven home our advantage a little bit better. I thought played at a better intensity and tempo. Um, but we were the dominant team in the game. But, you know, when it stays 1-0, you're always sort of a little bit on edge. It could be a set piece. could be strike from distance. So... Um, but all in all, you can't take wins for granted or you can't um, be complacent. We're delighted to win the game and we're happy enough with our start. What about the Dundalk game? Because you, you got a bit of a battering at the end, but you'd been the better team, I suppose, for the first 70-odd or whatever. Yeah, I thought we were by far the better footballing team for the first 70 or so minutes. I don't think Dundalk played up through us once, really. It was, they got offensive players on, they have good players, and they, got, they went a bit more direct as the game went on and got crosses in the box. But I thought from a football point of view... Um, we, we were we were the better team and as you said we could have doubled our advantage but look when you're playing against Dundalk you're never going to dominate the game for the whole match and um, you know they, they got a goal and as you said we could have we could have easily then after that maybe um, only for Paddy Power two great goal line clearances we could have lost the game Just the changes you made tonight the young lads obviously Burns and McCormick were impressive yeah, I thought they were good. Yeah, Dara again. Now he's got two goals in 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 uh, three. So um, he likes he likes that goal down there at Richmond. So um, very happy with Dara. And I thought Ben was excellent. His first senior start. You know, he's a very clever footballer. Picks up great pockets of space, and um, you know, has great awareness. And I kn- I knew Ben. He, he's a mature sort of boy uh, for a young so, someone so young. So I knew and phase him, and he, he was like he, he was playing his two hundred game, not his first. Yeah, he wasn't afraid to kind of stand up for himself either, which is nice to see at that age. No, but Ben's been in with us since last year, you know, the start of last season, so delighted with him and, you know, he's well used to pitting his wits against all, all the boys, the senior boys in training and, as you said, he doesn't hold back. You know, by no means a dirty player or that, but, he, you know, he's, he's it's what I'd say he's made of the right stuff mentally and, that, and um, you know, he knows this is just the start of it. He needs to keep working hard. The hard part is staying there now, staying at a level. It's not getting there, it's, it's staying at a consistently good level. How much better are you than you were at this stage last season? Are you getting better week to week? Uh, yeah, it's hard to tell. Look, obviously our results indicate that we're better. Um, but Early days? Very early days, very, very early days. You know, um, it hasn't taken shape really yet, but... Being honest, I was disappointed with us tonight in in the sense of... Um, I thought if we just had played a little bit more with a bit better intensity and a bit better pace um, you know we could have won the game more comfortably but I couldn't fault the work rate or that I just thought we could have been sharper Just finally um, are you kind of like the rest of us I know that uh, involved in the game a long time here but just would love to see fans back soon in some shape or form because it is getting a little bit like we're nearly a year at this now Yeah or I thought especially tonight it was very quiet probably the most I've, I would have realised you know it was very much in the mould of a, not a practice game but it was very sort of not eerie but uh, quiet you know and you sort of get so used to playing behind closed doors I think it will only be when the fans come back and there's a right good atmosphere that you'll really realise jeepers this is proper football you know so the sooner it happens the better because as I said I thought it was a little bit a little bit quiet tonight you know <laughs> through no fault of anyone's it's just nobody there so it can the, the intensity of the games can drop a bit but that's where our professionalism and attitude needs to kick in and you create your own energy as a team and your own intensity Mike Newell tried his best to get the atmosphere going what was the debate about it seemed to be some issue with the tape or yeah, something yeah I think it was the socks or something I'm not sure uh, disappointed again um, saying the same things the players couldn't have given any more um, you know give 100% effort 
Uh, I was dif dis disappointed with the, the officials. Uh, I think we had seven players booked. They didn't have one player booked. Uh, we had a couple of players when we wanted to make a substitution were carrying bad knocks and there seemed to be a problem every time we wanted to put a sub on. Uh, so not not pleased with that, but uh, take that away. We conceded uh, an early goal, deflected goal. Um, and from then on, uh, Paul Martin, again, did everything that was required of him. And uh, as I say, disappointed uh, not to have got anything. At all here when Mike Neal was getting sent off, was that really over blue tape on socks or not having enough blue tape on socks? It was just confusion every time. You know, we'd, um, Shane Griffin had a bad twist on his ankle and we're trying to get him off. We're all ready to go and then all of a sudden there's a problem with the, the socks. Uh, their players exactly the same were going on without any hassle and the same with uh, Niall O'Keefe again he was struggling with a bad knock and you're trying to protect your young players you're trying to get them off the pitch when they've got injuries and you're just getting um, stopped from doing that sort of thing so my concern isn't that it's about the, the players themselves that they don't get any their injuries any worse than what they are It was the same referee in Drogheda when Mike also got sent off like, do you think there's a bit of afters from that? Uh, well, I was surprised because it was nothing really warranted that. It just came from nowhere. So, um, as I say, it was take all that away. I was just really disappointed with the way I actually couldn't get to protect my players and get them off the pitch as soon as possible. It's tough with the schedule as well because you're a young squad and it's busy. It is, and we, we've picked up uh, a few knocks now, sort of thing. So uh, we'll just dust ourselves down, as I say, and we'll, we'll regroup and have a look at the um, the injuries that we've got tomorrow and see, you know, see how you know what what we've got, and obviously prepare then for the the game on Saturday. Will, will Brian Murphy be back at any stage? Or? Yeah, well, Brian's you know he's part of the squad, mm -hmm. and we assess like every player, we assess them every day. So uh, see so, ya. Yeah. A keeper to go game. Sorry, your keeper to go game. He did again. I mean, um, you know, disappointed for him. He, had no, he couldn't do anything about the deflected goal, uh, and again, everything else he did, come call crosses. His kicking was good. So you know, really, uh, that's a real plus over the last few games. You know, the uh, the performances that he's shown. Are you down bodies now? Because I'm sorry, there's only six we, on the bench. Yeah, I know, and so we probably, I don't know, obviously leave that to the physios, but, um, you know, hopefully they, they can recover quickly, the young lads, so that would be, that'd be a bonus if they did. If they don't, then, then we really are down to the bare bones, so uh, we'll just, uh, as I say, regroup tomorrow, see what we've got and, and take it from there. I mean, six games in, do you start worrying about the table now? Like Not really, because I'm, I'm see, what I'm seeing in training and the, the effort the players are putting in, it, it's only sooner rather than later than the results will come. Um, so I'm, I'm more devastated for them, uh, not about myself, about them, the effort they're putting in. They can't do anymore. They've covered every blade of grass. Um, as I say, didn't really get the protection off the referee that their team did, uh, and that was a massive disappointment. Utterly bizarre, Dan, really. Um, I, I, I fear for Waterford, I'm not going to lie. Um, I wouldn't have an awful lot of faith in the players getting the right messages from the sideline from last night, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I saw them the first game of the season. And I think at that stage, you could probably, you could definitely make an excuse for them that the, a lot of the players were literally just in off the boat or the plane or whatever way they'd, they'd been brought in. Um, and they had other players in quarantine have come into it. But yeah, some of the behind the scenes stuff wouldn't fill you with encouragement, certainly. Um, as much as there's been denials of various aspects of it, like it's still a fact that like we had Brian Murphy on a couple of weeks ago. Um, people know what a top keeper Brian Murphy is in the league, and he's not been picked at the moment. So that doesn't uh, that doesn't point to stability. Um, and I think you know you look down the situation 
towards the bottom of the table, like who's going to be down there? I mean, Finn Harps, for example, are picking up a lot of points, you know. Um, I mean, Longford pushed Rovers close last week. I think you're probably expecting to share economic fiscal reasons that, that Longford will probably be down there eventually, unfortunately. But you'd imagine Dundalk who were down there will will start winning and move out of there. And Derry is obviously the one who uh, is a fear. It's a concern. You know, still some promising signs at times in their last two games against Strada and Dundalk. They obviously haven't won out either of them. You sort of expect them to pick up points, but then really what I'm saying is like, you know, it's very hard to see a scenario where Waterford aren't in proper relegation trouble here and um, they need things to be going better. You know, they need they need everything rolling in the right direction. That's obviously a concern um, about them at the moment. I suppose the other team, I mean, Drada as a newly promoted team, uh, you would think they would be uh, vulnerable, but I actually think they'll be absolutely fine. Um, and uh, I think, you know, as I mentioned, I was at the game against Shamrock Rovers last night. Obviously, you know, we send our sympathies to Tim Clancy, um, you know, who, who we both know quite well. And, and um, you know, he lost his mum over the weekend. Um, and I did a piece recently on Tim's sort of workload, you know, in terms of managing and, and then his, his sort of his, his day job or night job. And I think he had a sort of a, a family situation as well. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's obviously, you know, it's a real credit to him that his, his team have, have, have continued to produce for him. Um, and I think they'll be okay. Um, they mixed things up a bit last night uh, to play Shamrock Rovers and, and understandably um, Tim headed off after the game um, because, you know, his, his mum's funeral is today. That's Wednesday as we speak. Um, but Kevin Doherty, his assistant, spoke to me afterwards. I see your prevailing emotions are serious frustration. I know there's obviously an element of well, pride that the team was competitive against the champions, but that's a bit of a killer, I suppose, to be Yeah, that look, it's, it's, it's deflating in that sense because we, we, we played so well, obviously, you know. Um, but to concede a goal like that in the 94th, 94th plus, because I was telling the fourth official it was over before he took the free kick, but sure, look, what can you do? But look, we have to defend that. But like, again, I'm nearly low to, to even criticise it conceding because we were absolutely excellent like it's probably as good a performance we played all year when we chances ourselves like we're not, I'm not saying Alamanis was pulling off save after save but we certainly had a few opportunities where we probably could have the next pass would have got us in or could have maybe took a less touch and got a shot away but I don't know we, 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 were, we were threatening at times but I thought our effort and our thing in particular our discipline and our shape was excellent um, mm. because I've watched them a few times now and Tim has watched them a few times and thought if we could keep our shape and, 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 and our discipline because you often see teams going in and they them passing and pointing holes and, and picking holes and like so they were there. they were they're an excellent side and I'm genuine we, we, we thought that if we could just keep our shape we might hit them on the counter similar yeah. to Longford the other day we watched them and we watched them and even the goal they got was sort of just nicking it off, off uh, Lopez and we thought we might and we nearly did a couple of times but look we didn't and we've got to sort of take the positive from the performance I know it's a cliche but we do have to take positive from this this is like as I said the best team in the country and we, we I think matched them for 94 nearly 95 minutes unfortunately not the 95th yeah I mean even like he went with some younger players I know there was some injuries that forced that as well but actually just like Sakillian Phillips and even where you use Lucchini and stuff it looked like you did sort of a, you had a game plan there you know oh, how you would execute yeah it. And, and like I mean and a couple of people asked me like were you forced into and in, in, in some respect there was a couple of bodies missing but uh, we felt it was the perfect game for these lads with their energy and like I mean it's the same we were talking about it. like sometimes 
throwing a younger lad like Killian for instance and mm. Ryan like Luke has played a fair bit for us and, and, and his energy is always brilliant he hasn't played as much as he probably wanted over the last since we've since been from home but he's, he's made a contribution mm. a really good contribution in some ways it was almost easier to throw Killian into a game like this where if it had been against a team that was a perceived smaller team like ourselves mm. or whatever there might have been a bit more pressure but it was almost go and play and keep a shape we worked on the shape last night and the discipline and but there was, you know, I'm sure he didn't he didn't feel as much pressure because let's be honest, people everyone probably thought they were going to yeah. and, and beat us. So in that way, it, it, it was good. But he, Killian, Ryan, Luke Heaney, Brandon, when he came on, we've plenty more Jordan. In fact, I think we've everyone bar we've we've three hundred ninety lads that are training with us in the squad. Yeah. Um, bar them, it's twenty two players now. They've all they've all played minutes now at this stage. So for us, that's a good thing because it keeps everyone well involved and, and, and even yeah. fitness wise you know but because uh, we're going to need them again for a part time team to 50 for the time Rovers go home now and they're up and recover in the morning and be going to work and then we to play them back on Saturday which is great it's what we want what we got promoted for but it's it's it's, it's a really small turnaround given that we were in Derry as well so look we just have to get them wipe soon yeah and I pretty, you mentioned it there I mean the dog of the weekend I mean it's a sort of a, not a cliche you know you know, no, no easy games in this league yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's a bit of a tough run but like, I don't know what have you made of them so far from afar I well from afar, I don't know I didn't see the game tonight they drew one all tonight in well, Derry yeah. yeah there you go so similar to us we have up there but it's again no matter what people are saying about the dark or what goes on in the dark like this is players they have unbelievable like, I saw a good bit of the past game I watch more of it now obviously after we wanted it we were so focused on Rovers and we'll have a closer look at Dundalk but haven't seen them like I mean the, the players they have at their disposal is unbelievable and we know if we're to go to Oriel Park and get something we're going to have even better than tonight mm. and work harder than tonight and see it out if we have to or whatever whatever the case may be to get something out of it but you're right the run of games is like we have Bowles and Sligo as our next two or Sligo and Bowles our next two but look we have to play everyone for the most so it is what it is we've had a decent start we're happy with our performances we got the two games that we lost we got done in the 94th minute so we have to work on that and, and try and see games out when we have but look that's the nature of football you have to you have to come up with different game plans and, and, and whatever strategies for, for different teams and different scenarios so but we'll prepare for Dundalk as well they are a good side certainly but we won't be going up there I think it's going to be an easy ride at all this is finally I mean, obviously you're speaking because of Tim his mum sadly passed away over the weekend I mean I know it's a bit of a glib thing to say but I, like you can see the team still working for him and battling for him it's, it's obviously been tough I mean this is something that you know you're managing things in a part time schedule with a you know with a, with a heavy workload and stuff it's obviously been a, a difficult time but I assume as a staff and a group you've sort of pulled together around them as well too oh, yeah 100% and, and like Tim being Tim and obviously absolutely heartbreaking for him and his family and, and for everyone we were devastated for him but like Tim was here tonight managing the team like you know there's not like I don't know I wouldn't say about other managers but as you go back to the players like they play for him because they love playing for him uh, he's a fantastic manager, young manager that is making his way in the game and, and has been brilliant since he came in and I came in very close with him afterwards a month or so, maybe a few weeks after he came in and I love working with him because his passion, like you can see him on the touchline but as you said, the players give, gave him absolutely everything tonight, but they do that all the time and, and as I said, it's, it's because of their admiration for him and because of how much they love playing for him 
and they'd have done that anyway yeah. regardless and they do it anyway but obviously maybe no it wasn't said certainly it wasn't even mentioned in the dressing room not obviously they knew the situation but it wasn't given as an extra motivational speech or before yeah. the match about now maybe the players did I don't know I don't I don't think so they'd have done it anyway because as I said for they, they love playing for him and they would give everything for him all the time anyway good stuff cheers Kat thanks yeah you mentioned as well Dan just that Shamrock Rovers the late goals the late goal against Sligo after they went behind the late goal against Pat straight after went behind the late goal to beat Longford the late goal to beat Drogheda they haven't really gotten going yet it's three way goal at the top between themselves Pats and Sligo Sligo and Bowes was, looked like an unbelievable game really um, Sligo have been playing some great football uh, the, the Dundalk goal in Derry I thought was a smashing goal uh, so there's some good football around, around the grounds but uh, so, uh, the early days anyway Sligo Shamrock Rovers and uh, St. Pat's flying high. Yeah, I think the, the big story for Sligo Rovers, and obviously you're, you're going to go to, we'll, we'll go to Tommy Higgins now um, presently, but I think the fact that Mark Burns scored last night after a little great little piece of awareness from Johnny Kenny, and you're talking about two local players, you know, who've come through, I think Mark Burns is male, but like two players who've come through, I suppose, the Sligo Rovers setup, um, you know, combining in a game of substance that they've managed to break through this year you know, with a first team that's going well, like not a first team that's down the bottom and there's no option but to throw them in. Um, Mark Byrne came off the bench and actually had that one against Dundalk, which, which should have stood. Um, and he's clearly, like, he's got a knack of getting the right positions. Kenny's been well publicised how good he is. There was a bit of a clangor from, from Finn Harp's goalkeeper last week to get him off the mark. Um, but can yeah, I mention I mean, as well on that, just Ben McCormick and Dara Burns for Pats. Um, I hadn't seen Ben McCormick really play to any extent before. He looks like, I mean, well, first of all, V. Jaros, like, I mean, this lad is like, it's so, it's so evident, like, uh, maybe I don't know anything about goalkeepers, but like, I, I'm not sure when I've been as impressed by looking at a goalkeeper week to week, the way he commands his box and all that. And fair enough, he's probably belonged to a different level. But McCormick and Burns, McCormick, there was one particularly bad challenge on him and he, he was right up on the Walford Fairs players uh, face on his senior debut and obviously Dara Burns got the goal he's gotten a couple of goals now but very very bright prospects for Pats Yeah no I mean they are players that people have been excited about and Pats have more coming through I think they're doing some stuff with like uh, full time stuff with, with schools secondary schools similar to the Rovers Ashfield one and I'm aware of one or two decent players that have signed up there mm. who are going to be training with the first team and around the first team and and maybe not this year, but but you know, in, in years to come, um, they're trying to do something there. And of course, listen, the whole model relies on selling. You know, one or two of them. I mean, that 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 let's be realistic about it. Yeah. But I mean, Yaros is is I mean, Yaros is is uh, I suppose yeah. There's other teams probably Dundalk who wonder how many points they'd have with a keeper like that. Um, and um, I was on off the ball last weekend with um with Stephen Elliott, who actually offered his opinion that. He's not necessarily enamored with the level of goalkeeping in the league um, in general. And I suppose if you look at the fact that the better keepers are largely the older ones who are still going, you know, from Brendan Clark upwards age-wise, the guys in the mid to late 30s, Manis and Brian Murphy and, and, and so on. And then maybe like there's not a huge glut of them in their, say, 20s that are, you know, you would say that there's, a, you know, some some top keepers there who are, who've been around the league. But, but, and the fact that sort of Yaros, the teenager, has come in and looked so good, Ed McGinty at Sligo under 21, that maybe like we're seeing a sort of a newer generation of keepers of uh, of keepers coming through. But we'll be going here your chat with um with our with our with our special guest this week, Johnny. 
Yeah, so it just uh, seemed like a good time to get on somebody from Sligo Rovers, which was Tommy Higgins, the chairman, and Daniel Lambert, the COO at Bowes, to talk about where their clubs are going um, against the context of the big news over the last few days globally. You must have been um, so kind of regretful that there wasn't a crowd at that game last night. What a game of football. Yeah, I think it was it was a remar- remar- remarkable game. Like obviously, uh, congratulations to Tommy. Uh, some brilliant football. Which two teams really who who went who went at it totally. It was attacking football for the whole game. Uh, you know, we I think we we'll rue a couple of missed chances, but ultimately, congratulations to Sligo. I think the quality of the goals. I'm sure people have seen them speak for themselves, and it was a really good uh, advertisement for the league. And as you say, like if that had been a packed daily event, you'd wonder. You know, you'd wonder with crowds, it does change games, the noise and the and and the 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 kind of emotion from the crowd, but. Um, no, it was a great game of football. It's just unfortunate uh, people weren't there to see it. Yeah, Tommy, uh, Sligo Rovers dreaming of a title this season? Uh, look, at this early days, yeah. Look, that, that was a game that could have ended up 5-5 yesterday. And it was, a, it was a wonderful advertisement for League of Ireland football. And two community-based teams were, you know, went head-to-head there last night. And, you know, there's some great saves, there's some misses, there was everything in it. And the goals, the four goals were stunning. You know, and uh, it, 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 they would stand up anywhere in any league. So, it, uh, you know, overall, I was just at a warm glow of the whole game. The result, of course, a bit of a bonus for us, but it's a long season yet, and I think there's 90 points to play for. So nobody's looking at titles or anything like that. What's the reaction of both of you to the, the crumbling of the Super League idea? Because uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to bring on two people from clubs that have done unbelievable work in the community, two exceptionally well-run clubs against you know the evil empire of the Super League, which uh, since we booked you to come on the show has pretty much fallen apart. But what's your reaction, Tommy? Just never going to get off the ground. And there's fan power, I think, that brought it down. Uh, my view looking at it there is that... Uh, you know, those clubs are badly run. A lot of them run. They're overpaying their players. Uh, if you can't run a club like Barcelona on, on an income of 500 million, there's something wrong. So there's something wrong with the economics of all those clubs. And the same at Real Madrid. They're constantly in debt. They're being bailed out by governments. So uh, I have no sympathy whatsoever for them. Greed. Yeah, I think, look, these clubs, if we're honest... You know, have a look, search the owners. Uh, they're they're owned um, by some of the most uh, corrupt people on the planet, uh, people who are morally bankrupt. Um, and I don't think they can even fathom uh, what a football club is. They just see it as a business, and that's the that's where the, the strength of a football club lies in the fact that it's not solely a business. Yes, it has elements of business activity, and yes, you know, commercial activity within a football club can uh, can be positive for the football club. But when you hand over a football club solely to business people. They don't get it. It's outside of their 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 uh, their knowledge base. They see things in black and white and numbers and figures and they don't understand the emotion, the community connection, the sense of identity, the sense of place, the sense of purpose. That's all outside of their vocabulary. It's not it's not the language they speak. And I think that what they see them is as businesses where they can extract maximum profit and shareholder value because that's the world that these people operate the worlds they operate in. Look at the businesses they've all come from, whether it's the wholesale uh, you know theft of countries' resources, which is quite common, um, or else are involved in large extractive industries or in large media industries, ultimately deliver uh, a lot for a tiny amount of people and for everybody else, uh, they, they leave them in a worse off position. And ultimately that's what's happened to football. And I see it, uh, it's a positive what happened yesterday, but it, it's actually great that it happened because a ma- the mask has slipped. And it's amazing, I was chatting to some fans of my, or some friends of mine who are fans of Liverpool and, and Manchester United. One of my best friends has been a Liverpool fan for his whole life. 
he's no interest in League of Ireland, never really has, and I've tried to drag him along. And I was chatting to him, and it kind of took this for him to realise, I think. And I was sort of said, hold on, this has been happening to your club for two decades. Mm. Really did take this moment. What I fear now, unfortunately, is that um, rather than this be a wake-up call, I fear that the status quo that existed last week, which I think is already terrible for the game, because it has been uh, large swathes of the game are now controlled by, by hyper-capitalist forces. But um, I think that if people now go back to the status quo and see that as, as some kind of utopia, I think we've missed an opportunity here. I think now is the time that football should push back against you know, some of the forces that have destroyed the game. Um, and, and hopefully that'll happen, but I fear it won't. Well, actually, on that, Daniel, because, you know, I think there was a, almost a smugness or a kind of a delight in the League of Ireland when this developed, because this is the complete antithesis of where we're trying to go. Were you encouraged by the, the reaction of essentially working class fans in Liverpool and Manchester and places like that who, you know, helped to bring this down ultimately? Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, it was great to see as League of Ireland fan. Like, obviously, you know, there's no everybody has the right to follow whoever they like, whether that's a team in the Premier League or you know, or a team in the US or whatever. That, that that's people's choice, and it should be. And I don't think anybody should be should be mocked or, or put down for the team they they support. Um, obviously, you know, myself and Tommy would be proponents of the members' own model, and I think the members' own model has has a huge amount of uh, benefits to it. But what I worry about for, for football fans in Ireland, and this is not to, to identify, say, a Premier League fan, but you know, we look at the league in the 60s and 70s here, and, and the numbers of people that were there and people had a real experience of football and what football was what it was to be a football fan what i worry is that for the majority of people in the country now there's been several generations of people that have experienced football solely through the show that is sky sports and and the medium of the television and that and that's it just a flow it's a one directional flow it's not a proper relationship and you might take a, a, a you know a trip over periodically and you've you've heightened up expectation you know, it's like going on holidays once a year to, to, to the beach. You sort of convince yourself you're having a good time because you've built it up so long, even though it might be quite boring. And I think the same has happened with, with Premier League football, in particular with, with, with Irish people, where they, they have a generational gap uh, in terms of what football is about. And what football really is about is connection to place, connection to people, you know, a shared experience with people uh, and having this emotional connection to a club. So it's outside of just the normal. It's very different. It's more of a spiritual experience or something akin to being a follower of a church, maybe. But it's mm. certainly not. Everything else in life is transaction based and, and run by big business. And I think that it's it's worrying that that's been lost because I think League of Ireland is a, is a brilliant example of that. And like last year, for, it's happened to all clubs in the league, I'm sure. Like we played Chelsea last year, Lampard's first game, and older Chelsea fans loved Daily Mail, loved it. They're mm. saying this is this is brilliant. They they felt something that had been lost. But younger kind of Irish Chelsea fans, I suppose, come in and they expect something that isn't really real because it's, it's built on sand. As Tommy said, these clubs are, are, are all for the most part like bankrupt anyway. Yeah. So, some, uh, some of them built just, on, on Arab sand, obviously. It's funny, Tommy, that he <laughs> mentioned um, the, the church there because uh, Eamon Sweeney's book, There's Only One Red Army, has that theme on the front of it um, as if you were a disciple following a football club. And what Daniel actually describes there, to be fair, is actually not the case in Sligo because Sligo is an exceptionally well-supported club in a small town. But um, how have you done it and how have you reacted to this in general? Well, I'm just there about a year. I'm still learning the ropes a bit, you know, but I've been, been a fan since I was six years of age. Brought, my father brought me, the same as everybody. They, they, they brought uh, their, their parents brought them to the first League of Ireland games. But uh, I think Daniel is absolutely right. We, we There's a generation there missed out. But I, there's some very, very good signs in the League of Ireland. have to congratulate Daniel there. They're, they're uh, uh, redeveloping their stadium. Finn Harps are redeveloping our good friends and, and, and neighbours up in the northwest. And we're, we have a master plan coming out. I'm not going to say too much about it, and I'll be out in a couple of weeks. Tell us. We have a all... plan. 
And no, I'm not going to say anything. And, and it's going to be very ambitious. But you have to be ambitious. And I think we missed out a generation there and the GAA and the rugby at our lunch. If you go back 30 years or so, three men and a dog going to rugby games. Mm. And uh, I, I remember being uh, at a demonstration, passed by there one day where they were trying to put, the college was nearly going out of business. And they had, they, they, the, the, the whole pile of people from Galway came up and then in March. And look at college now. There were 600 people going to their games. Now there's 6,000 people going to the games. It's a marketing it's a marketing thing to do with it for, 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 the, for the FEI to get involved. Now, we all can throw our hands up in the air and complain and whinge and do everything. But I think the clubs have to do something about it. And there's a new mood about, and in fairness, more attention has been played to the League of Ireland in the last 12 months than the previous 20, 30 years. And there's a credit to the new regime in the, in the FEI. And uh, I'm very, very hopeful for it. And, and uh, yeah, we're, 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 going to, we're going to press forward, and so is Daniel and Finn Harps. And I just looked at a game there last year. Um, what, what's missing in the League of Ireland at present that I see is the, the presentation. Uh, uh, last year there was Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk, it was a wonderful night's entertainment. Full ground, the stadium looked magnificent, but some of the other grounds. They don't look as good. So the presentation doesn't look as good. People are looking, as Daniel pointed, to the, some of the games on television. And our games don't look because the backdrop is not good. Mm. There's a reason why the entertainment, the live entertainment industry in Ireland is world-class. The facilities are world-class. And you have to have a good night out for the people. Mm. And I saw the plans for Dana Mampart. It's going to be sensational. And I, for, I believe that the crowds will double. Mm, yeah. So it's up to the clubs and it's up to governments, it's up to local authorities to invest, and there's no reason why that can't be done. Why and did it you, does need leadership. Yeah, Sorry. Why, why did you? I mean, we, we spoke about this. You were kind of an advocate of the MK Dons back in the day, I suppose. Why why did you support that at the time? And what has maybe brought you around to the thinking that we can do things differently? Or would you would you do things differently now if it were the if something As, similar presented itself? That was 20. That was 25 years ago, you know, mm. and that's never going to happen. But at that time, we had a parallel plan for the League of Ireland. Mm. We were going to put, you know, and, and that, that, look, that's it's over and done with it. That's never going to happen again. It was one of those things. I think it was the right thing at the time, and it would all, I think, would have, would have uh, increased the profile of soccer in the country. But I keep saying the GA and the rugby came along and went into that space where there was a vacuum. And we, the FA had never built. On the this, you know, there's 20, 30,000 people going to the League of Ireland games. Uh, yeah, 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 and I was <laughs> one of them myself. I remember going out to Flower Lodge in Cork, going to the football match. We packed, never built on it. And that there was a vacuum there that's lost. We are now, forget about the past, it's over. We have just to think of the future. And yeah. uh, I, I would be very, I would be very, um, uh, What's the word I'm saying? I, I think I'd, I'd be very hopeful for the future of the League of Ireland. But it's up to the clubs. It's up to everybody else. It's up to the FBI to drive this forward and don't miss an opportunity. As, if you as, look at what, sorry, if you look what's taking place on the pitch, just look at the pitch. The pitches are better. The football is much better. It's faster than what it was 20, 30 years ago. The product is very, very good. Talent is good and it's increasing all the time. And there's it, 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 so. Uh, I, I think we don't get the credit for it. I see that. I says I'm new into it. I'm looking at it in a, in a, in, a, in a new context. Yeah, I I agree with that, Daniel. My my kind of fear with the League of Ireland is that um, we'll all regret. 
the good days, like right now when we were in something of a revolution and things were really on the up, I think if it ever did get really popular, we'd probably, in a, in a strange, nostalgic way, pine for the old days. But where can we go with this league? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think, look, the League of Ireland is, is, is a countercultural activity, really, for the most part. You know, it, it's outside of the norm and it'll probably remain uh, outside of the norm because uh, mass marketing works. Uh, you know, people used to drink uh, Harp and now everyone drinks Heineken and uh, they're probably equal quality drinks, but marketing works for Heineken and it'll work for the Premier League, you know. So that, that's uh, that's the, that's on the macro level. Uh, but I think the league, like Tommy said, I, I think for us at, at Bose, like we've obviously, like a lot of our, our stats over the last five, six years are really encouraging. And this isn't like in any way to, I suppose we, we still have a long way to go and we can always improve, but we have managed to double our attendances. We've vastly increased our commercial income and we've managed to double our membership. And there's been lots of really positive signs, more than triple the number of youth teams. So these are all good steps and they point towards, I suppose, there's growth there for sure. And Daily Mount now hampers us because Daily Mount was sold out for the whole of 2019, the start of 2020. Um, and I do think of the new stadium that, that we can get 6,000 a week I, I really I firmly believe that that we can get uh, you know 6,000 every week and, and certain games will be sold out and that'll drive demand for season tickets and, and, and memberships and we can have a, a really good uh, good level of attendance over a season but I, I do think you have to be realistic about where we can get and I think to get to an average attendance across the league at five or 6,000 will be a big increase on where it is now I do think it is feasible. And I think that what's shown, like what, what this week has shown maybe with, with, with some of that, you know, the talk of, 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 you know, that European Super League really is that I suppose people maybe are beginning to realise uh, that it's not a positive thing when football is totally taken over the money and that they want something that's relevant. And, uh, you know, I've spoken about this before to people, but, you know, it's really, it's a really important point. I think that in people's lives, the, the touch points for them as people are so few now. Like if you, you take a walk through Glasnevin Cemetery, it's really interesting. A lot of the gravestones, it says like, you know, Johnny Ward of, you know, uh, Carnlock Road or of Hollybank Road. So in housing, people lived in a house, they lived in it for life. They didn't see the house as something that you could profit from and move around in. And now today in Dublin with rents and everything else, most people are moving continuously just to afford rent. So that touch point is gone. Your neighbours maybe are gone because you're moving so fast. Mm. Your job situations are, are, are fluid. People are given short-term contracts. They're changing. They don't really have vocations. They're kind of in this world and a lot of jobs where you're struggling to, to, to understand what the outcome is of your work, of your efforts, whereas they were obvious in the past. So you've got jobs, you've got housing. Then you look at things like the church for obvious reasons. People don't go to church. The family unit is broken down a bit because of the transient nature of jobs and housing. So that's lost. And then you look at things like unions, which have become you know less, less strong and, and people have less free time. So a lot of these points through your life that identify you as a person and give you meaning uh, have been lost. But football club remains and people can start following Sligo or Bohemians or Derry or Cork City as a child and follow that club for their whole lives, knowing that that's something that would be a constant. And I think that when you take that as, as let's take it as fact, if we can, we, you know, for, for Bohemians, 131 years and hopefully another 131 years, then for the football club to be relevant to them, to have meaning, to, to have a positive impact, yes, to play a, a, a really good standard of football, to be able to win leagues and cups, but on top of that, to, to be something that's positive, that they can look on and say, you know, I'm proud of what my club does, whether that's participation of people with disadvantage, you know, from disadvantaged areas, disabilities, increasing the women's game, whole number of things, you know, social work you might do. I think by, by doing those things well, uh, the clubs become relevant. More people want to get involved with them. More commercial partners want to get involved. Local government wants to assist because what the GAA do really well is they make themselves relevant. Uh, people want to support them. They mean something to politicians. They mean something to the people who fund, who provide large funding to sport in this country. And I think we're beginning to do that now. And, um, and yeah. that's, you know, and that starts with the association because the association weren't, weren't doing that for the game. 
And ultimately, they are the people who meet government directly. And I do think, as Tommy said, that with a change of personnel there, with a far more positive, uh, positive kind of output from the association, that clubs in conjunction with the association can begin to really, um, you know, have an impact in society through sport. Yeah, I, obviously, Neil O'Riordan um, memorably recently described Bowes as the League of Ireland's own Gretty Thunberg. But just, and, and he was saying, kind of saying that half tongue in cheek. I am wondering who are the new fans that Bowes have um, gotten to the game? So if you're saying they've doubled, doubled attendances, which I'm not disagreeing with you at all, are these Laps fans, are they Irish people? Are they non nationals? Are they people who live around the area? Who are these new fans? Or have you done any research on that? Yeah, a little bit. What they, they tend to be is, is a mix of, of two things. They're uh, younger people who, who just have, haven't been Bose fans in the past. Um, and they tend to be a, a lot more families who just live in the local area. It's been a change in the area. Fibsborough and Dublin 7 was traditionally kind of a flatland, I suppose, mm. a bed sits. A lot of those houses have changed to, to young families. And, and these families are coming in and they're playing playing with the youth teams and coming down to the games. And, and also then you've mentioned we've, you know, there's a, a mixed population. So we're seeing, you know, more fans from different backgrounds, different countries, which is great. But um, I think that all clubs, all clubs can do that. And it's about just, just putting like, people know who you are. I think for too long in League of Ireland, there's an echo chamber of League of Ireland fans um, and really passionate people, great people involved in all clubs, brilliant fans, obviously. And, uh, but not, not reaching outside of that group. Not, you know, Barry, a fan asking someone else to come. Well, it hasn't been a demand from the public, coming from the general public of people who aren't connected to the game who are saying, oh, that's something I'd like to get involved in. And I think that we can do that. And, and, and members own clubs are probably best place to do that because it's a pure message and, and, and it's a really strong message to get involved and be an owner of your football club. How is Sligo Rovers run, Tommy? Well, well, it's it's like it's. I guess what Daniel says about the housing and uh, people having to move on. It's slightly different than Sligo. It'll be more stable, uh, and we, we our fans come from a wide area. We have a season ticket holder that comes from Bellbollard, which the guts of a hundred miles away. Uh, at Mullingar, lads come from Dublin, Mullingar, Enniskillen, South Donegal. It's a wide area. People people think nothing in the country traveling uh, an hour. Uh, an hour and a half or whatever uh, to go to a football game mm. and um, the club is it's totally voluntary that we run we've only uh, we've only a couple of backroom people that are on, on salary but everything, everything is voluntary and I like it like that uh, and uh, I, I also wouldn't run, the, the German model is very good also where the fans own you know the majority in the club I think Bayern Munich 75% is owned by the fans, 25% by Adidas and, and whatever. And they did that to finance the new stadium. Very, very well-run club. And all the German clubs are very well-run compared with the nonsense going on in Spain. So um, co coming back to, uh, to, to Sligo, um, it's, you know, there's, there's a great love for the club, has been forever. And we're coming up now to our 100 years in 2028. And uh, that'll be a big occasion. But um, great support. And, um, you know, when, when we started, we were in a sh shocking state last year. We lost the first four games. Mm. And uh, <laughs> no money coming in. I mean, it just, but the fans rallied round, and we had a wonderful um, uh, fundraising and got us going again. We ended up in Europe. It was a great story. And that can happen this year as well. I mean, the teams that are down at the, uh, at the lower end of the league this year can end up in Europe. Sorry, it's a wonderful competitive league. It is, it's it is. It's as good as any league. It's so competitive. You it's mentioned the, the fundraising. Like, it always, it genuinely amazed me in Sligo, and I say this with not um, 
uh, not lacking envy here coming from a Galway perspective where there's a lot a lot of things going on in Galway. Galway United has always kind of struggled to really get proper support uh, at, at any sustained level. And in Sligo, you have a professional football club, but when you actually do need to raise money to pay professional players to keep things afloat, the community, the, the club seems to mean so much to the community that it always yeah. rallies around. Well, and that's what makes the club. And uh, it's, you know, it's very, very difficult. We're constantly... <laughs> fundraising we're constantly looking at the money uh but you know it's well run and there's a very good bunch of people in, in running the club at present uh you know very very good people everybody has some different talents and uh, they they all support it and i said the the the, the community spirit and now i see we, and the players are great too they go out into the schools and do all that and uh, then the kids are getting involved and uh, it's uh, it, there's and there, at present there's a great vibe at, uh, in the club at present, isn't so isn't, that what, isn't that what it's about, though, Tommy? And like I, I do, I do often think of you, Daniel, because in terms of bows and what they're doing, and um, you know, Brano's kind of said, "Are we even a football club anymore?" And, and that's kind of said in jest. But like, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily, as a Man City fan, be be like, you know, just really, really delighted with the progress the club have made because of the context behind that. And a, a lot of it for me is going to a football game. Granted, I want Go United to win, but it's more seeing people, seeing happy faces, seeing happy children, seeing generations of people go to games, see new faces at the ground and see people enjoy themselves for two hours because football is about escapism and you can be a lot more than just winning games. You can be about a community vibe and something, a sense that might have been lost over the generations where you go to the showgrounds, you go to Daily Mount, for those two hours, you're genuinely in a happy place. Well, I, yeah, think I think you also want to... Sorry, Daniel, you also want to have better facilities for those people. Mm. I want to, I want them there for three or four hours. Mm. Uh, you know, they can go before and after. And uh, I, I think you have to have better facilities. Uh, and, you know, you, you have, I think all the stands need to be covered. You can't have people standing out in the rain. Uh, so, and again, if I come back to the entertainment business, the concert business, world-class facilities here. And that's why you have a world-class industry because the, the investment went into it. Harry Crosby did an unbelievable job at the point. You have Vicker Street, you, have, you know, the Borgas Theatre, you have the, the Olympia Theatre, wonderful facilities and people flock to it because it's a great night out. And we have to do the same for our football clubs and increase the, faci uh, the facilities and make it a great night out for people. Yeah, Daniel. Yeah, I just think as well, when you say, look, getting involved in these things, I suppose sometimes people might wonder, and it's a fair comment if you're, you know, if, you, if looking out to say, oh, well, all of this stuff, what has this got to do with football? And ultimately, you know, you should concentrate on, on the game, right? And I think the two things don't, they don't overlap in any way. Uh, they don't impact upon each other. And if anything, they impact upon each other positively. So if you talk about like, like a member's own club doesn't have private investment, you know, another club, and the way I just visualize it as there's a, there's a pipe coming into Club A with a private investor. They can turn on that tap or turn it off, and that can deliver things that they need, whether that's a, a center forward or it's staff or it's a development. In general, that's the mechanism to raise funds quickly. With a member's own club, you've got to have, you operate in, in, in an environment, in an ecosystem of people, and that, that those people are, are around you in Sligo or in Dublin, and then they can be further afield. You know, they can be in Ireland in general, or they can even be international if they buy into your values. And ultimately, the ability of a member's own club to survive and prosper is dependent upon a large group of people having a love for that entity and be, mm -hmm. being willing to volunteer time, buy a shirt, go to a game, become a member, whatever that, that the, the, the actual kind of manifestation of that love becomes. If it's distant, it could be buying a shirt, and if it's local, it could be becoming a member. And the ability to grow that group of people is dependent on you being something that's viewed as something that's positive, ultimately. Because people, you know, success on the pitch doesn't generate that kind of activity consistently. 
And it's the one thing you can't guarantee consistently. But if you do the bit off the pitch really well, and you do it in a way that instills a pride and a sense of love in your club, you will grow that. And these are your inverted commas investors, this large group of people. So if you do that properly, that group of people grows, which increases your revenue, which ultimately delivers for the football side because it enables you to have a sustainable base of people, which, which Sligo have and have demonstrated for years in their fundraising. So this is, this is not only like, you know, a good thing to do. It, it, to me, it's the, it's the road that a member's own club must go down to ensure its own survival and prosperity. So, and there's no net loss to it because ultimately the football club is in a stronger position and the activities of the football club go beyond football in a positive fashion. So, it, yeah, and you see as well just that Dundalk and, you know, reports of kind of um, maybe alienation among local volunteers, people have left the club and this is after success. Yeah, I think, look, look, like success on its own, is that like success for football clubs has to be viewed in various elements. And one element for sure is, is trophies. You know, the number of trophies won or the number of, of cups won. That's one, but it's only one. And I'd say it's, you know, it's, it, it perhaps isn't the most important. You know, the, the actual sustainability of the club and the sense of value that, it's, that it, it creates and the sense of meaning and, and togetherness with the group of people that, that run it, with the fan base, with the, the, the staff, with the players... That's all as important because that, that's the actual value that will bring the club forward and sustain it. Um, but in particular for a member's own club, that's the thing with, with it and Dock, it's, it's different in a way and it's awful to hear of, of people do feel alienated from their club. But ultimately with a private investment model, it, it's not as critical to the survival of the club because the private investment can replace people, you know, uh, to bring it down to just, you know, its base level. Whereas that can't happen at a member's own club. So I think... Um, you know, I think it's really important to remember that and, and the clubs can can do both and they both complement each other. Yeah, that's a fair point, Tommy. Yeah, I, I agree. Everything there about Daniel says. The, the other thing I think where we're going to get uh, traction is the women's game. Uh, we, have, uh, we have two women's teams of press. We'll have four within another two years. Uh, and that uh, women bring more families and I think it's going to get more like the United States and where the women's game is exploding everywhere. It's also exploding in other codes as well, in Gaelic and in rugby. That, this is, so this uh, is a I think... In the Sunday Independent um, front page on Sunday, um, they led with the, the women's rugby against France and um, they were most surprised about that. But the League of Ireland has failed, failed, failed in terms of attracting not only, you know, um, getting proper football teams for, for the women, but getting women to actually watch the game. We have terrible, terrible support. It's totally male-dominated and that's something also that we need to change. Yeah, I think facilities will help that. Mm. You have to you have to create a nice, good facilities. You can't have women standing out in the rain uh, at, at that. So, you know, I, I think that the investment is needed in the game. You know, we we we're a community club like Daniel. It's expensive to run eighteen, but to run four teams, and so there's a lot more money needed to come into the game, and that's where I think governments and uh, UEFA or wherever the, 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 the funding more funding has to come into the game to help and support and, and uh, to move the game forward Well, on, the, on that Tommy we, we saw a tweet from Michal Martin this morning I think it was this morning just in relation to the Super League and it was pointed out by Carol Shepherd, obviously who's uh, plenty of League of Ireland experience that you know Michal Martin shouldn't necessarily be focusing on football just on, in relation to something about a Super League what about our domestic game here and I still don't feel the government in this country has any idea of the potential of football in this country as an industry. Now that Brexit will basically prescribe young kids from going until they're um, an adult. Well, I, I slightly disagree with that. They've been, the government have been quite good in keeping the game going over the last 12 months. They've been very supportive to the League of Ireland. 
and uh, they've been they have been supported. Let's say, Danny, they've been supported for you with your football stadium and Finn Harps as well. So, uh, there, there's a new way of thinking, and uh, you know, I, I, everybody is giving out too much about politicians as well. Too, it's crazy stuff going on there, press. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree there. I suppose, Daniel, it's just historically, I'm supporting the league since the mid-90s. I've always felt, you know, Bertie going on and presenting the premiership and all that. And that, that'll be fresh in my memory. I've always felt that they thought it was maybe more populist to support an English team and be seen to do so than actually invest in football in this country, which was so badly needed. And now we have a situation where we lose it home to Luxembourg. Yeah, I think, look, politicians speak to, the, speak to their, their electorate, you know, and the fact is that if you're speaking to the Premier League, you're speaking to a bigger electorate than speaking to the League of Ireland. And I think that, and a large part of the blame here for me lies with, with the way football has been organised in the country historically. So, you know, if you, if you take, if you're walking into Jonathan Hill's role and you're told, oh, you've got the most participate, you've got the most number of players in the country in any sport, that's the number one thing that should be important coming into a role. If you're going into tennis Ireland or basketball Ireland, you know, your CEO is probably thinking, right, how do I get the numbers up? We've got all the numbers playing the game and it's totally fragmented and disjointed. So, like, I, you know, I grew up playing GEA for Nafina. The GEA model is a fantastic model. You've got one club per parish that feeds into the county board and the county boards then connect. So there's real power in that and there's power bottom up and top down. But the top down can, in terms of, you know, its relevance to government and, and the voting power and its political capital, but then its commercial attraction is huge. You look at, you know, the sponsorship of their women's game because this thing reaches down. It's a proper channel that functions. Whereas you take an area like, like I grew up in Finglas, I think there's 40 football teams in Finglas and they're each trying to get a dressing room or, or they're trying to get a porta cabin or they're trying to get a better pitch and they're competing against each other. So at the very base level in the game in Ireland, the football ecosystem fights itself. It doesn't act in unison. And that permeates right up to the top. And then if you're a politician and you're getting involved in Bohemians or, or in WEFTA or in any club in this country, junior or senior, you know, you've got these disparate power bases. And what politicians are interested in is large groups of people who are going to vote for them. And football hasn't provided that. And it's, I do think, you know, one of the best changes that can be made to this game, the game in the country is to try and just bring that system into line where there's a proper flow. How do you do that? Base. I think you, you limit the number of clubs in certain areas, particularly in seeds. And you establish clubs and you bring it over a period of time where you have amalgamation at a junior level and you try and have a proper system where there's a club in Finglas or a club, you know, just based on geographical area. And then that, those clubs can properly fundraise, can, can have proper good facilities and provide a better platform, like Tommy has said, for kids, spectators. And that feeds up right through the League of Ireland. And that system then has capital. It can, it can engage with government. It can engage with commercial partners. But right now it's too fragmented. And I think that's why we don't see high quality commercial partners and we don't see, and we better, like they're improving. You know, there's been good sponsors in, in, in the league and there are now. But I think that when you look at the GAA, they seem to have a higher level again. And football has the numbers. You know, football has a higher number than the GAA, so it can do this. It, it just needs a bit of reorganization. And, and I think that, that that's a step that should and probably could be taken. Before we wrap up, lads, um, I'll get to you, Tommy, first. Obviously, just, just looking at a, a poll uh, in the UK this morning, I think 97% of fans over there uh, want to go back to games. They're ready to go back to games. We're not in a situation in Ireland where we've been vaccinated at all to that level. But um, would you go to a game if Sligo Rovers had fans in at the weekend? Or do you think people are ready to go back when they get the nod? And how, how kind sure. of prepared is the showgrounds for letting a limited number of fans back in? The person at the gut to get back into football stadiums. I would say that there would be a huge interest and, and in other sports as well. People are, there's a pent up demand as there is in the entertainment, in the, in the live entertainment concert business, pent up demand for getting back in again. And I've no doubt, look at this will all pass, all prices pass. And once uh, enough people get vaccinated, I would think by the last third of the year, we'd probably have full crowds back in again. 
That's what yeah. I believe. I, I love that. Unless, unless something turns up that we don't know about, but mm. I, that's the trend that's going at present. I love the positivity. And Daniel, if ever there were an experience that is like just so demoralizing compared to what it should or can be, uh, it's just going to Daily Mail behind closed doors. And I'm saying that conscious of the fact that I know most people can't get in in any shape or form, but um, we just need fans back. Yeah, no, I agree. Tal. Look, we, we'd actually a company there last last night called Altada. They, we had we were just trialing systems in Daily Mail last night and we had a system set up where there was a, a temperature check as is normal. Then there's a canine COVID detection unit. So they've trained dogs to detect COVID. And, uh, and then if anybody failed either of those, then there was rapid latent, latent flow testing. It takes wow. eight minutes or something. So we're just trialing it to see what's possible. And I think this is probably the way it's going to go. I think there'll be an interim period where you'll have some kind of rapid testing before we return. And it's, I suppose it's up to all the clubs to be prepared for that and to bring fans back as, as quickly as possible because it's, it's, been, it's been really odd. Um, you know, I think the, the game, if anywhere the game is, is a lesser experience without the fans, it's in Ireland because they, the crowds are just so good, so passionate and so close to the game. It's, it's, it's a totally different experience without it. And you're not giving anything away, Tommy, but you're obviously excited about the new plans anyway. Yeah, it's ambitious. We're an ambitious club. Why not? And uh, I, 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 no, I'm looking forward to presenting this very shortly, but um, we have to do it. We can't stand still. No club can stand still. And I, can, I admire Bohemians. They're, they're like ourselves, a community-based club. And our good friends, I say, up, up in Donegal and Finn Harps. It's great. And I think there's, um, it, it, um, it has, we have to go that way. We're, we're, we fell behind so, for so many years in, uh, in, in promoting the game. And uh, I, I think that um, whatever all these clubs, uh, there's a good future for the League of Ireland. I believe that. Thanks a million for to both of you, lads. Thanks to Daniel and Tommy there. Um, yeah, it's I guess refreshing to hear Dan just these proper community-run clubs. Um, I've always been very envious of Sligo Rovers, just the way they run. They don't have to deal with the level of support maybe for other sports and the arts and the well, maybe not the races, but Galway's just a place where there's an awful lot going on. Sligo's properly maybe a football yes. town, really. And to just basically say there's no art in Sligo. That's your line. Okay, Sligo is a cultural backwater, says Johnny the Warren. Art, that, the arts in Galway is just a euphemism for getting steamed anyway. And we all know that. Like, <laughs> that's what happens in Galway. You know, or uh, what was the case anyway. Look at his painting, but uh, let's go to the pub. Yeah. Let's go to the pub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know exactly what you're saying. But I mean, if there's any Sligo-based... Oh, no, Sligo had normal people, which was a big contribution to popular culture, you know, that's... in recent times, even though... The main Sometimes character, like the main character, from it. well, they, they, well, there was, wasn't there a poster of Raf Guitaro in the room, but wasn't the whole point that in the in the original book he was a uh, the, the young lad was a uh, was a uh, before he just got into like rampant activity with his girlfriend was uh, obsessed with football as in soccer, the foreign game, but but clearly for for the TV market they needed to make him into a GA icon with O'Neill shorts because. You know, we, we have to when we advertise ourselves to the world, it, it has to be, uh, it has to be GA to the forefront. I listen. I mean, Do you think there to, an extent, maybe a lot of, to an extent, I understand why that is. A lot of young League of Ireland fans were probably lost to the league when they discovered sex and so on. You know, they just, uh, you know, they were. Like, a lot of young League of Ireland fans didn't discover it. That was the problem. Well, that was that, um, was that, that as well. Was... A lot of them were still going to games, like. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but uh, or they were. Obviously, we, we implore uh, the government to look after the needs of people who want to go to games, including me. To be fair. <laughs> I, 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 did, I did not know when that was going, son. Neither did I. I implore Dan, the government to look after the needs of. Excuse me. Right, Four okay. star pizza. Um, um, Terry the Tiger won last week. Um, Terry. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no, you can't just, you can't just, we can't just gloss over that. Um, we want to apologise to everyone who entered the quiz last week, but 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 stress to them that the integrity of the Four Star Pizza quiz it means everything to us. It is yes. in every fibre of our being. Um, we want this, and we we. We, we promise you that this is a completely independent process. The, the fact that the Galway United Media Officer um, runs, you know, is, is, a, is a co-host of a podcast where the winner of the free giveaway with the help of Force That Pizza was the Galway United mascot. We got to admit, the optics aren't great. We're a bit well, like, terrible, you know, really. it's, it's sort of like that little Britain where the politician is, is, is you know, mm. given the, the, the sort of comical spiel. But, but, but we have to explain that it was a, a genuine win, Terry the Tiger. Um, did we get a picture of Terry with his pizza? We actually? haven't yet because I mean, he's getting it this week um, by request. Uh, so, yeah. I'd imagine it'd be pretty messy, really, like just sort of joint hands, like, you know, how he, he, because he entered as Terry the Tiger, he has to, for the kind integrity of it, Terry the Tiger, eat yeah. it as Terry the Tiger. Yeah. So, um, so maybe we should see that. But anyway, this week's question is. Uh, the, the big question that everyone's been waiting for. So I did reference earlier, different league, uh, the the documentary about Derry City's yes. rise, uh, an entry to the League of Ireland. And they, they entered the first division, the League of Ireland first division, in the 1985-86 season. The question is, and you can send it as ever, uh, hashtag LOI Central, uh, or tweet at LOI Central pod on Twitter. The question is, who were the champions of the first division that season? First winners, of the first division, um, send us your answers, please. And you put yourself in with a shout of, uh, yeah, of some good pizza on us and four yeah. star pizza, of course. Um, this week's fixtures Friday night, Finn Hart's play Pats, Shamrock Rovers play Bohemians. God, it's, it's such an occasion normally. And this, anyway, so, so Saturday then, Sligo Rovers, Derry City, Dundalk, Drogheda United, a lot of local derbies, Watford, Longford Town. Um, and then in the first division, if I get there momentarily, Fixtures this weekend, Galway United against UCD, Cabin Teeley, Shelburne, Treaty, Cork City, Athlone, Wexford, High Flying, Athlone, Wexford. Um, that, they're all Saturday and Cove against Bray Wanderers. Sorry, they're all Friday and Cove against Bray Wanderers on Saturday. Yeah, the first division, it's sort of, um, I mean, Galway got, it, got out of jail late a bit against Treaty. Um, but I mean, listen, I, I don't want to put you in a difficult uh, uh, position with your, with your, with your masters, but They'd probably want to start winning games that aren't walkovers. Um, that'd obviously be the challenge, particularly for a full-time club. So you'd imagine, uh, you know, it's stating the obvious that, that that your lot need to get a bit better. Um, in fairness, I, I probably felt a bit for Treaty because they've had sort of like red cards and various stuff in, um, in earlier games and they had the full 11, but they still just couldn't just see it out. But um, I mean, I Who think that shells... Four teams in the division are Bray, Cork and Galway at the moment. Yeah, it's sort of mad, really, isn't it? And I mean, in fairness to Athlone, I know you talked them up a bit after the um, after their win over Galway, um, but they're they're still doing it. I mean, I, I think UCD the way they finished last season, and the fact that they have players on a scholarship loop that are a bit older, and and there's mm. always a cycle with UCD, and they're coming into a good cycle. I think I, I'd expect them to be there right up until the end. 
But I think there's something about Shells winning down in Cork. You even look at the goal scorers like Ali Gilchrist, who's a come from the Premier Division, Shane Farrell, okay, he was he was he's been a Shells lad all the way through. But Yo Yo Maddy was such a big signing who you thought would have gone to the to the Premier Division. You really think of Shells hit gear, they they you know it should be their year. But Can um, I just say about Treaty then there was um there was a really good um vibe among the people who were there to watch Treaty, which would be the I guess the Limerick based journalists and the Treaty kind of um personnel at the game but there was a really good vibe between them and the team and I, it's not something that I would take lightly in terms of Limerick and its association with fans in general but this I think this Treaty United project could actually work out quite well they worked very hard a lot of young players from around the region a lot of pros from around the region as well they should have won the game really they were very lucky not to win the game and I think the Treaty United project could be something to look out for I think it could be a good, a good story as well down the line Yeah like I mean I just they need to get I mean Listen, we're banging, banging the same drum, but more than anything, like they need to get crowds open. They do, um, as, as you know, stadiums open because they don't, they don't know. We had Tommy Barrett on, and I mean, you could be right, Johnny, and you could be wrong because they haven't had that litmus test of of how many people come to the, you know, the first game, and it's probably imperative that when they do open, in a way, like you know, obviously it wouldn't be better for them, right? Um, you know, everyone wants fans as soon as possible. But in a way, it'd be better if it was the start of a season when fans opened, you know, when fans came back because the danger is they're sort of mid-table whenever a property opens. And it's hard to build a buzz around that. But then again, the fact that the playoff pitcher is so open in the first division, even if they're in with a shout of that, it'd be good. Oh, they the would 100% part. be in a shout. Yeah. Absolutely. No, 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 I, think they will, I think they will, yeah. And, and it's, 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 a, it's an interesting... Um, Interesting towards the end of your chat with Tommy and and uh, Dan Lambert, even the detail that Dan mentioned about say testing and and the you know what clubs are going to do and Dan, we need crowds back and, and seriously government like, get get, get your act together in terms of like outdoor activities space, crowd spaced out it actually I think it would help people it's like the game last night seriously like. This is just, it just gets, it really does get tedious after a while. I think Stevie obviously mentioned it as well, Stevie O'Donnell, but it's like, I think at this stage, we have to start at least looking into getting some attendances at these games. Yeah, well, I think, I think once you get over a certain threshold of vaccinations Mm. where certain cohorts have been done, it's easier to make the case. Like, you have to be sensitive about it, but there's no doubt, like, there's a thing ongoing this week about, well, the Euros come to Dublin and stuff. Mm. I don't care, personally. Neither do I. Um, I. I think it's more important that, you know, people who 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 are missing the, the regularity and the togetherness and the belonging of their, their sports team here, whatever it is, whatever Whether or not is, they've right? had sex and whether or not they've met a girlfriend and so forth. <laughs> or, or a boyfriend, John. Or a boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, so, like, the, you know, I think more it's more important that without being a bit nimbyish that you know we, we sort of look after the sports fans here who need that understanding or that 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 sort of connection back um and yes clubs obviously financially need their their cash as well but i think there's a there's a deeper meaning to it like i mean last night i'm in Drogheda, you know and um there's there's now a regular that there's just locals over the wall at both sides of that set i'm pretty sure there's a couple of rovers fans there last night as well um you know because there was there, there was positive chance towards uh Alan Manis and stuff, or I don't know, maybe a few substances had been imbibed, you know, that uh, people were just like merry and happy to be out, that they were just cheering for everyone. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a bit of a mix. But, you know, you're at the stage and we've all been through it, you know, where you probably condemn it and you don't encourage it. Now it's just like, ah. I tell you, know, you one thing, listen, though. I can, I can understand why local lads, you know, there's a lot worse things they could be doing out on the streets than, 
you know, hopping over a wall to watch, a, you know, the game of football, like for a couple of hours. It's a very understandable thing for people to try and do it. And just, hopefully just, they're, they're back on the inside of the fence soon. Just on that point, when, when Daniel was on about the sniffer dogs, can you imagine sniffer dogs at League of Ireland games at a regular basis? It'd be interesting. Well, like, I'm pretty sure we've had them. Have we not had them in some of the like Category A games when there's around a million cops for a thousand fans? Category no, A I mean, drugs more like that's what they'd be looking yeah, for, I'm, trying I'm, to keep them. But I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure we've had sniffer dogs outside stadiums before. Maybe. I'm pretty convinced we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Like you know, okay, like, I, I can't imagine they were there to watch the game. You know, I imagine they were working. Yeah, like, you know, I'm like Terry I'm the not Tiger. Sure if we've, I'm not sure if we've tapped into the the dog community yet. Now maybe we'll just we'll get the stadiums open first and then mm, go from mm. there. You know, we've, we've tried all other sorts of uh, marketing schemes. Um, could you walk your dog? There's a couple of grounds where you could walk your dog around the pitch because it's so exposed. You mm. know, we could definitely like dog walking trail. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you on that one. We'll get back to everyone on that, but we should probably we should probably end the show, Johnny. Probably probably wrap up episode six there. That was LOI Central in association as ever with. FutureTicketing.ie will be back next week.